0: Here we go, Monday night time once again Ira on sports, true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo, and here we go. NFL playoffs are underway. We're at this point in the day, four-sixths of the way through the games that we're gonna see. We're taping this show early. We always let you know this. Typically, Ira, when we do this, it's because you've got, you know, a national championship or something to attend that night. That's not really the plan for today, but still a good reason why we're taping in advance. Because I want to watch the Steelers at 4.30, so the Steelers game will be on, and then the question is why I did
1: not go to Tampa. I was gonna to go to t- Tampa, but because I want to see the Steelers, You know, well, I had a ticket, first of all, on Sunday, I had a ticket to Buffalo to fly. Of course, that t- was- t- Got
0: kiboshed uh, that, by got well, they,
1: <laughs> they canceled the ticket, and there's no planes in, no planes out. I mean, it'll be shocking. You look at the videos and the pictures of the game, we'll be taping, this will be showing at seven, so the game is already like almost near the end right now. I, I'd be shocked. I mean, I'm still shocked they're going to play the game. There's going to ages of snow. But I think it's crazy how they've handled this. This is ridiculous. And we can talk about this. The idea that their Buffalo is building a $1.5 billion stadium without a dome has to be one of the dumbest Insane. things I've ever seen. And that's and now they have, they're paying people $20 an hour to clean the stadium. And you can see they're without the shirts. They're having a good old time. <laughs> but you're talking about a league that has $18 billion in a revenue a year, a league that's worth almost a quarter of a trillion dollars. You have star players and you have... People, begging, you know, going out there shoveling snow, volunteers
0: shoveling snow, and without shirts and having a good old time. It's ridiculous. What do you think is the magnitude of them moving this game? Because that was the first thing I thought of. Like you said, it's not easy to get in and out of Buffalo anyway. If you had a hotel room, you had a flight, you got in Saturday evening and had a flight out Monday morning. What do you do for, for, for this scenario? It kind of messed everyone's plans up, and certainly messed my plans
1: up. It messed my plans up today because I'm thinking I'll go down to Tampa and I'll go watch the game. But it's yeah, two now, games it, in one weekend. And now, yeah, but now the problem is I'm going to go if I. Drive to Tampa tonight, watch the game, and then I've, it's sort of. A, what if it went up right up into the game? And sometimes you're in the suites. So I get a, a club, you know, a club seat. But sometimes they turn the TVs off in the club seat for the game because they once they get like eight o'clock, they'll show like the Tampa warming up because they don't want people watching another game. So mm-hmm. if it was not the Steelers, yes, I would do it. But the Steelers are my team. I would love to see them, and I hope I could see them in Baltimore next week. So that's why I wouldn't go to it. But I think it's. But look, Buffalo's stupid because I think the fact is that you have a team that you know. Again, if if you were going to race against Usain Bolt and you are going to lose. But if you were going to go race in mud and it was going to be this mud up to your waist, you'd probably say, i have a better chance. So why, if you have a better team, do you want to play in conditions that are going to be the equalizer? And I think that's one of the big things is that, you know, in the NBA Finals, I mean, if you had the one team if Miami, if the uh, Heat were going to play and they were going to play outside in a, in a place in Denver last year, I think Spolster would say, yeah, let's go play outside with wind and everything else. If you're neutralizing the better team, then you want the conditions. And sit, if Buffalo wants to keep playing in these bad conditions, the Steelers are used to, they just played in Baltimore last week in terrible conditions. Mm. They play it. I think it's stupid. I think that we don't have domes. I, I, I to My big theme is that I just it's one thing not to have a dome stadium because you have a stadium, but when you're
0: building a new one without a dome I think it's crazy. So one of the other things too I mean gambling's obviously ubiquitous in our lives now. It's legal in Florida, which I didn't think was going to happen for a long time. If you bet this game three days ago based off a Sunday game with snow with wind you got a a different line than you get right now and I heard actually I think it was the Mirage in Vegas their house rules are as long as the game is played one week from the posted time the odds don't change if it goes more than a week they they can adjust it but you're, you're kind of toying with people's money here a little bit, not only the traveling if they were going, but now if you're gambling based off what the game is supposed to be.
1: Right, well, Dan, but Buffalo's had this issues again and again. I mean, a couple years ago, they, last year they had the whole, they had to move the play, game to Detroit. Um, there was There's problems with the weather. There's problems getting in. Now, Steelers were smart. I think the Steelers, well, considering they're only, it's like a four-hour drive, it's like a 30-minute flight. So they were able to get in. But the worst thing would happen is the Steelers would have flown up there early and been staying in a hotel room for two days. At least they're at the facility, sleeping mm-hmm. in their own beds. You don't want to be in Buffalo for an extra couple days while the game is being delayed. So that's another benefit to the
0: Steelers. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies channel. You can follow Ira across social media at Ira on Sports. Rodney Orr coming to join us at 745. And Ira, we're going to talk to him is obviously about Coach Nick Saban in my lifetime, there's never been a wilder coaching carousel, vacancy, whatever you wanna call it, that we've seen in, in the past seven days. We're truly in like the wild west of, of coaching availabilities and and firings, quittings.
1: Yeah, I was I listening, I was watching ESPN in the morning one of their shows, and they spent like a half an hour talking about like their favorite foods at restaurants or something like that. And I'm like, if you can't talk sports now, then I don't know when you're ever gonna talk sports, because it was like it was like Belichick, then it was Saban, then it was, you have legend after legend, Pete Carroll, like when, and Pete it, Carroll. it's like, when Gravel P. Cowell let go, and it's like a, a side story. It shows what everything is. And you have the national championship game on Monday. You're in the middle of the playoffs right now. What a time in sports! And it's just it's it's like one day another hit, another hit, another hit. And we're gonna spend a few minutes in talking about Michigan. And the reason why I want to is because it's sort of like Michigan won on Monday night. And the moment Michigan lost, it's like people forget what Michigan did. Like it, <laughs> to me, we saw we saw a great team. We saw an undefeated team, one of the best defenses I've ever seen play. And we it's forgot. It's like if that game was that Monday night could've been. A year ago,
0: yeah. like uh, you can't even remember when they played. Yeah, it's uh, they, what do they say, a twenty-four hour news cycle, or like a twelve-minute news cycle <laughs> with the NFL at this point? It, it really is just wild, kind of seeing how everything transpired. Because I almost thought, Ira, some of these posts were satire. Like someone would send me a link, oh, Nick Saban just retired, like ha ha ha, like a funny I joke. I didn't believe it. I didn't <laughs> believe it when <laughs> you, I couldn't heard. Couldn't believe some of these. I didn't believe it. Pete Carroll getting like wild. We'll talk all about that. Let's go back to Monday, though. You were at Energy Field, Energy Stadium in Houston. You've been there a couple of times in the past few years now. Great place to see a game. You got to see the national championship and the best team country prevail. Michigan won, beat, beat Washington.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is sort of like, this is one of those things where I said last week, it was climbing Mount Everest. It was the fact that in, he he takes Harbaugh after playing. First of all, he played at Michigan and he was a great quarterback. He was the Big Ten player of the year. Uh, they, one year they finished second in the country in 85 and 86, he went, went to the Rose Bowl. Then he has a career where he played from the Bears and the Colts, Baltimore, San Diego. So it, it, Jim Harbaugh was a, was a star quarterback. I mean, we just look at him right now at 60 years old, but he and he was a star Michigan quarterback. He's played, he Coaches at San Diego for three years, Stanford for four years. We know, of course, the 49ers' success. 2015, he takes a job at Michigan. Everyone's like waiting for instant success. Well, it wasn't instant. He lost five straight years to Iowa State. He was one and four in bowls. It was like 10 and three, 10 and three, eight and five, 10 and five, nine and four. People were saying, oh, you can't do it. He can't coach. Michigan's impossible. Academic standards. He's not good enough. Everyone calls for, I mean, everyone's calling for him, firing, all that stuff. And then the coach. COVID year happened, they hardly even played any games. But after that COVID year, everything changed. 21, they were 12-2. and 2, They beat Ohio State in Michigan. That was key. Then 22, 13-1, and 1, they beat Ohio State in Ohio State. And then, of course, they lost to TCU. And the huge upset was at that game in the Fiesta Bowl. And then this year, just to build it again. And, you know, the fact that you have J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corum and these fifth-year and sixth-year seniors, everyone that built through that program, through all the suspensions and, and recruiting violations that they supposedly said because they gave extra hamburgers to players and the french fries and, <laughs> and, the, and the ketchup or whatever and then because they stole signs which is unbelievable because when we're at these games you can see the signs as I said I've go to games I
0: see signs all why over why you're not changing your signs I
1: have no idea. <laughs> the stupidest things in the world I mean they're gonna give him a percentage because he had the wrong socks on and the wrong shoes I don't even know but to build that up and to win it it was climbing Mount Everest it was and it was someone it's like I have finally done that to take Michigan where they said it couldn't be done Bo Schoenbecker never won a national championship Lloyd Carr was the player that won and I it was just this, to me that's what was so impressive is the fact it wasn't like just one out of nowhere like Washington out of nowhere they won one playing for the national championship this was building this was building when they when I saw it at the Georgia game when I was at the Orange Bowl when they got destroyed and McNamara was their quarterback and they bring J.J. McCarthy in the game getting him experience in a big game getting him that building up to this moment and that's what we saw on Monday night when we saw a team that and a coach and a coaching staff and players that all were just improved went through losses and ups and downs and all these things and they finally were able to overcome
0: it's one of those things too it's hard to win you take a sport like baseball and now we have the dodgers who payroll is absurd they've got all the best players like for them the expectation is world series if you're a professional golfer you have 150 guys you're competing against every week or 149 same thing with college football it's not easy to beat all these people you could be fantastic to win is very very difficult And yeah, they just finally put all the pieces together. But it was, I think what you said made a lot of sense. Guys like Quorum, you know, 50-year guys that could have went to the NFL draft last year, but said, you know what? I'm coming back for Coach Harbaugh. I want to win one. And ultimately, you know, it proved fruitful.
1: Right. And and I think that's what made it the fact that they, they went through, they were definitely hardened by the battle, hardened by the losses. Now, Quorum wasn't there for all those losses that they had to Ohio State and whatever, but certainly everyone around the program felt that. And and I think Harbaugh felt that, and I think his staff felt that, and he was able to make the changes. And, and I, I heard a lot of things saying, well, this proves that you can be, you know, his recruiting classes were between 10th and 15th. And it's like, now it shows you don't have the first or second recruiting class to be great. No, it's because I think these recruiting services over, you know, do not put the right value." You won the players, four stars. For sure. Or probably three stars and four, you know, they guess just because somebody says, Oh, I think that person is there's a lot of corruption in how they rank these players also. Mm-hmm. There's something going on that. And also the fact is they have great player development. So you have player development and you recruit well and you're hardball and you coach well. Yes, you can win on these. But I don't expect this to happen time and time again that any other coach can take top 20 recruiting classes and try to win the national championship.
0: Do you want to talk about um, the atmosphere a little bit here in Houston? I know for the final four, like you thought you, it was amazing kind of like the, the festivities, I guess, that were going on. Was it kind of the same here for the national I
1: a little bit different because I think but in fact I was hanging out at the Michigan Team Hotel I felt it I couldn't believe it. it's at the Hilton Americas and it's the biggest lobby of any hotel you've ever seen <laughs> and it's all Michigan fans and you couldn't even move and it was great and it was after they won the national championship game it was so cool because you're there and the whole bar is full when I mean bar it's like the lobby is a bar it's an enormous lobby and that's where for the uh, final four all the college coaches were out there they're just hanging out This they don't really have that but Jimmy King and Ray Jackson were on the Fab Five so they're marginal Michigan celebrities. They walk in there. Everyone's mobbing them. This is so exciting. Like anybody who played on the Michigan team, they're all at that place. I think that was so that was exciting. Now, there was the events, though. What they did was set up there. This is not a bowl game. It's just a game. So it's not like the Rose Bowl, which has all these other activities. So we went out early to uh, the stadium and they ha- they literally it's like the Super Bowl. They they block out all around the stadium where the parking lots are and you park your car, which I got there super early, and then you just go in and you're not going through the gates. And then they have these tailgates. So you don't have to pay anything special. They have all this tailgating outside so you didn't pay anything but I got this VIP for this premium thing which is pretty cool so I went in there they had a DJ and a band and the the National Championship Trophy was there so I put that picture up on on our web that was cool and you got so that was fun and then the alumni in that had each alumni had their own little parties for different levels of parties too so I didn't get into those but I did the other stuff outside which was cool at the VIP party and that was it. Was just that was cool and of course I run in the stadium first thing and I'm there early and and uh, watching all the warm ups and the players I said unlike pro games those Players are out there two hours. I'm in the stadium. The stadiums I like, they open, the whole thing opened three hours before. So you can get there early, watch them when they're shorts and t shirts and and walk around, talk, do those type of things. So I like that, taking those pictures. And I sat on like the 40 yard line on like 25, 30 rows up. My pictures were good, but they were harder because it's a little, NRG is dark. Like in the backside, it's almost like a theater. So it's hard when you're in dark and you're taking to light. So that was what was fun. But I still had a great seat for the game, amazing seat for the game, and got to see all all the atmosphere for
0: it. Yeah, the pictures I was talking about at Ira on Sports across social media. What did you mean by alumni parties? Like there'd be a class of 05 party and a 1985 no, party they call it. They, that's funny, No, that's like a reunion. But no, they call alumni, it's like,
1: oh, anybody went to Michigan, so they have the Michigan alumni, if you're part of the Alumni Association, then they have their pregame tailgate. Now that was in the NRG, there's an NRG center, which is an indoor place, so they, you walk into that, and Washington had the same one. So it was a Washington alumni. If you're a part of the Alumni Association, you go there. But so it's just an extra thing that you pay extra money. It's another party to pay for. Actually, I think I went in the wrong party, like I was supposed to go to the alumni, but <laughs> It, the one I went to, I thought it was even better because it was like the food was absolutely amazing, and it's all free food. So my friends always ask me, "Is free food?" That was all free. So, <laughs> but I thought that was pretty cool to go in and go walk in that. And then, but if you didn't even have anything and you got in there, then you, there's other vendors and everything throughout the all around the entire stadium. And now remember that stadium is next. If you see the picture, the Astrodome is next to it, which is a huge stadium. <laughs> but they haven't torn it down yet. But I don't think they'll ever tear it down. But it's right now; it's not even
0: used. But it's next to NRG Center so, Stadium. I always want to ask about the uh, the fan percentages. I have to assume this was an overwhelming Michigan uh, fan base.
1: You know what? I thought during the game, the Washington fans were really, really loud. And I felt, but I felt like, you know, when I where I could tell the percentage when the game was over and you could see when they're having a ceremony out there, I was surprised. I thought it was 70-30. During the game, I thought it was like 60-40, 55-45. But when the game was over and you saw Michigan fans all on the upper decks on the Washington side, then I realized then, wow, this is really probably a 70-30 type of game. But the Washington fans were very, very loud. And as expected, you know, Michigan it's closer. There's more fan base, more alumni. It's the, sec- it's the largest alumni, alumni association in the country. So, I didn't know that. But, and their fans are so devoted. I mean, they are the most devoted. They love their team. They're obsessed. They follow, they know every single Michigan player that plays in the NBA and the, the, the NFL. They're they're great. I mean, it's it, that's what makes it. You know, if Harbaugh leaves to go to, the, no pro team has this
0: type of fans. I mean, their fans are so loyal to Michigan. And it's one of the reasons that I think it's a hard decision for him, but I think it's still an easy decision at the same time. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. Let's talk about the game itself. This was one... I mean, Michigan's heavily favored here, and like I felt bad I, I bet against Washington and I kind of been betting on them all season based off your recommendations Michigan looked great you know to start the game like you could tell we're going to go in here we're going to run the ball hard we're going to play defense this is what Michigan does and they were able to do it pretty easily
1: yeah but I think that you know the weird thing about this game was I thought this game I remember I was at the game last year in the last four championship games and I felt like this had a feeling of the Georgia TCU game at the beginning and I in the and I just think Michigan did take advantage they could have blown this game out in the first half yeah, it could have been worse but it, and I think that's what I mean, the score of thirty-four, thirteen looks great, but I think that that game should have been thirty-four, thirteen at the half. I mean, Michigan had the, you know the the first they had ball, got the ball, and then Domin Edwards, who really took a backseat. If you remember last year, Quorum got hurt in the Michigan game against Ohio State, Michigan Ohio State game at the end of the year. Edwards had those huge long runs in the fourth quarter and won the game. But this year, he really hasn't carried the ball so much. He could have gone pro, but then he runs forty-one yards and it's like this is the Washington defense that I saw at the USC game that just let him run. I mean, he literally went there and the Washington mm. was like looking at and running that for forty-one yards. Washington Washington gets the ball back. They kick a field goal, big drive. Then Michigan gets the ball back again for McCartney Edwards, a 46-yard run. So it's 14-3, just like that. On these two long runs that just were just like Washington wasn't even trying. I'm like, this game's going to be a complete route. Washington goes three and out. Michigan goes down there, kicks a field goal, makes a 17-3. And then uh, and then when Washington was fourth and seven on Michigan 47, they went for the first down, didn't get it. You know they're very aggressive. They're you know they're down 17-3. But Michigan, I thought that's where that's where Michigan should have ended the game. At 17-3, they just got the ball in the midfield and they went on fourth down like end the game now make it 24-3 let's call it a day and they don't they don't do anything so then Washington goes three and out Penix was sacked and then Michigan was fourth and two in the Washington 38 this over a lot of criticism so they're fourth and two instead of just kicking a field goal or punting really punting at this point punting the ball they go for it they don't get it Washington then gets the ball they finally get some movement and they go down and score and that made it 17-10 to 10. they went on fourth and three on the third on the, on the three yard line they go for it make it 17-10 so the halftime score is 17-10. Even though Michigan outrushed Washington 209 to three, outgained him like 300 to 150, it's still 17-10. And I think that's, I'm like, wow. I mean, Michigan could have thrown away this game by not blowing them out. And then the you get back in the halftime is extra long. It's like 25 minutes. It's like seems like forever. You come back in the seats. The first play Penix throws an interception, like mm-hmm. a bad interception to Will Johnson. And then and that's the one thing the the, the secondary every time I'm watching the game when you're at the game and you're seeing a at and uh, and McMillan and Polk, they're three wide receivers that think they will go th- you know, first, second, or third round in the drafts. They could not get open. The Michigan defense, their secondary was on running with them. There was very t- few times where they were wide open and the Michigan kicks a field goal off that makes it 20 to 10. Washington comes back at 20 13 and then something really weird happened. The next three possessions, Michigan had punts. They went three and out. Like they could not, this is where the Michigan offense just could not get going at all and they're like leaving Washington in the game down seven but Washington went three punts for a total of three yards. So these are offenses that you expect to get more. This is where Penix, and this is where Penix is getting created. He threw some bad passes. He just did not seem comfortable in the pocket and he just did not play well. And then with nine minutes left in the game, McCarthy threw to Colson Loveland, you know, his tight end, 41 yards. Then Coram ran 12 yards for a touchdown. This is sort of what they do a lot of their games. They sort of hang in there a little bit and then start blowing them out. And then Coram runs it for a touchdown. Washington then drives down, throws Penix, throws an interception to Santa Still, and the guy runs it back 81 yards and then Score another, and it's a blowout game like that. But it was closer than I expected, and I just think that from that, if you look at the stats, Washington was two for fourteen on third down. Michigan was only one for ten on third down. So their offense wasn't great, but Michigan had four hundred forty-three yards of offense. Washington only three hundred. Penix who was you know set to win the Heisman Trophy most of the year. Bad game, two interceptions, only one touchdowns, 200 yards. And their wide receivers, wet Polk, and McMillan, you know, not really that great at games. And they could not, they, one of the things I noticed was the one game against USC, Dylan Johnson, their running back, he was certainly injured. He kept coming in, out of the game. They just could not get any running from him. He was 20 carries for 46 yards. Or the team, they were 20 carries for 46 yards. But, you know, you look from the Michigan side, J.G. McCarthy, who, you know, everyone's saying is going to be one of the top players in drafts. He was 10 for 18, 140 yards. I mean, it was really Quorum who ran 134 yards and two touchdowns. They had 300 yards rushing in the game. Mm-hmm. So I think everything, when you look at the final stats and the final score, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. Because I thought that Washington's offense was not did not look like Washington's offense looked before the year. I said the defense is just going to get run over. Michigan just you know could not take advantage of some sort of situations. But look, they're the champions. Everyone's going to look at the score 20 years ago and say, they're undefeated, 34-13. They've dominated, those type of things.
0: But I'm sure the Michigan fans in the lobby didn't care about that. <laughs> they just wanted to win. No,
1: and you know, I got to meet, the one other thing I'll say, is I got to meet a lot of the players players families and you meet the players families and they're so amazing like they're players their families they are not they are wonderful like this is a good group of people like you know it, even there was none of the curfews like you like my friend was in the hotel and Blake quorum comes down and gets a coffee you know they, they the players when you talk to them they, they're, they're professionals like they they are professional people like and I think that helps and I think the fact that he recruited them they didn't have the problems look Georgia is great but they had a lot of those DUIs and all those driving problems issues, yeah. those off-field issues You didn't hear anything of that in no. Michigan The thing is, that's because it's not. If you're going to do something bad, it's like, no, we're a team. We're part of this team. If I, it's not just I'm going to do something. I'll let my teammates down. And I think that's one of the reasons why they played for the national championship and Georgia didn't. I mean, Georgia didn't have. I feel like there's an aspect of that, but I just meeting. It was fun. I never really go to games and really meet players and their parents and all the other stuff. And I just everyone I met was like wonderful. The great stories to tell. One guy, Sus Johnson's father's writing a book about uh, African Americans in the NBA before 1950 and playing and stuff like that. So that was exciting. So I really
0: like that so one of the my takeaway from the game has to be the um factor of i mentioned on the show last week like michael lombardi friend of the show former nfl gm said i would take michael penix over caleb williams and then we see a standalone game with michael penix and he missed some bad throws he, he just made some very poor throws worse than i've seen all season and jj mccarthy who our friends at walterfootball.com have him going number five overall to the giants I didn't see that from either of these quarterbacks, Iris, So it kind of leaves that just murky for me,
1: right? And I think, and one of the things I will say about Penix when you're there and you see him live, he throws a lot of sidearm throws when he doesn't have to, and that's like Trevor Lawrence. And then I and I made this comment. as like Patrick Mahomes uh, is great at like throwing sidearm, throwing weird angles. At where, but you don't, he doesn't do it every time. So does Stafford? He does it when he has to. He does it when he has to. And Penix, it seems like, does it all the time. But when you throw it sidearm all the time, you're inaccurate, and also you can get tipped at the line. And I think that's the same problem Trevor Lawrence, who doesn't Lawrence, is even bigger than Penix. Like, like, I think Penix is really, you read about it, his, his mechanics are a little off, and he doesn't run the ball as well. There, there are issues when you see in a game, He look, he'll, he has a rocket for the arm, and if you're down 60, 70 yards, he's going to get it to you, and he's going to drop it right in there, and he's amazing. But there is some issues in terms of, I think, you know, that sidearm throwing, he's going to have to go more over the top and throw, normal throw like, you know, because Mahomes, as I said, is the best sidearm throw I've ever seen, but if you look at the games against the Dolphins, 95% of his, his passes one are, throw a game. are over <laughs> the top. Right, it's, it's that. And I think Penix has just gotten into a bad
0: habit of just. Throwing sidearm the whole game. Hi, Ron Sports True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Rodney Orr is going to join us at 7:45. Talk a little bit about more of what we're going to discuss now. But if you want to talk anything about uh, Nick Saban here because this was kind of shocking to me that, that Nick Saban stepped down. And I think if if I was in his shoes, looking at the way the game just kind of changed, Nick Saban's changed his game already. He was a defensive, run the ball kind of coach. Then 10 years ago, realized, man, I need some. Some skill players. I need some quarterbacks to, to keep winning in this league. Now, with NIL, everything's changed. And if I were him, in my seventies, I'm just not going to do this anymore. <laughs> I don't blame him. Well, you know, he his career is crazy. 20 years, but in the, in the
1: first 20 years of his career, he was an assistant coach. Kent State, Syracuse, WVU. He coached at Ohio State, Navy. Then he went to Michigan State, and he was there, and he was nine into his final year. Then he moves to LSU for five years, won a national championship, parlayed that into go to the Dolphins, where if they would have drafted Drew Brees instead of Dante call, and, and signed, instead of signed, not drafted, but you know, signed trade, Drew, well, yeah, trade, yeah, signed Drew Brees, but they said his shoulder, the doctor said his shoulders not going to hold. Old, and they went Dante Culpepper instead maybe that he has to reason he never goes to Alabama and I know the AD at the time really pushed you know let's get him let they, they target him he came in that first practice that he had it was sold out for the spring practice and the first year was like seven and six but after that 2008 you know 12 and two you know then they were then they went 2009 they won the national championship and then from 2009 to 2023 he won six national championships and this is what his final standing in the polls were one eleven one one eight four one two one two eight one one two five five. Not and, bad. And it's just unbelievable, <laughs> and it's just simply what a, what a, what a, and, and just be the come, the dominant program. And even when Dabo Sweeney and Clemson, uh, you know, beat him a couple times in the championship games, and it, it would it would take when Alabama lost, you remember the losses. Oh, Johnny Menzel game. Oh, when John, Deshaun Watson beat them, like Trevor. You know, you remember the fact that when they lost, it would had to be some amazing performance by somebody. That's the standard they set. And I think it's good. I think he's phenomenal. I think he's a, a great recruiter, a great CEO. And I think he's a great in-game coach. The picks, the, the, the six, you know, where they try to kick a field goal they against Auburn. Mm-hmm. Like when you remember almost every single coach's games that they lost, you know, and they coached as long as he coached, you know how great he was. And all the players, the whole NFL, you see Tua after games. You know, he's just, Tua can't leave the field because there's so many Alabama players on the field. They're all over the place. They <laughs> have to meet everybody. They're all talking. You, you literally could feel like a top NFL team by just putting Alabama
0: players on the same team. Philly's been trying to do that with Georgia, Georgia players. Says, <laughs> 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 Working so good. Um, yeah, one thing I will say, it's just been a remarkable run. And for me, he's always going to be remembered for the benching of. Uh, Jalen Hurts for to it in the national championship something that was kind of unprecedented who pulls their starting quarterback from all season for a guy nobody knows both of course are successful NFL quarterbacks now but just wild things like that he never really cared what anyone thought about him he was doing it Nick Saban's way
1: well I think in, also in a way he was able to have three or four w- running backs that were all going to be in the pros he got people to buy into the say look if you work here we win as a team you're all going to improve you're all going to be drafted to the NFL the idea which are, it's hard to do in this me 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 where was my draft position he really they didn't you know when they. Go to bowl games. That I was at the cap of the, the Citrus Bowl and a bowl that didn't matter. Everybody played in the game. He just got buy-in from his team when these players weren't getting buy-in. And I'll share my position and I'll I'll be one of three running backs and I'll and I'll beat Jalen Hurts and I'll ride the bench behind Tua one year. It's, that's an attitude that was he was able to get. Now maybe with the transfer portal he wouldn't be able to do that as yeah. well. And that's one reason he he decided to leave. But the fact is in a time when still people were moving, transferring, getting upset, he still was able to do that. An amazing and as I said, I think he's underrated as an in-game. coach Coach. People talk about CEOs. I think he really was a great uh, during the game, and also you said make the changes. You know, make his offense before he was more like a nine six seven six type of cool game, and then he brings in Ghislaine Kiffin and Sarkeesian and these quarterbacks and, and starts throwing the ball. Jones is towards... of the world. yeah so, and yeah. Yeah. so well, I think we're going to go stretch this, this yeah. game out. So I think that's and he's you know, he's the, and my, of course my life. I mean you know you got Saban and you got New Rockney and that's about it. those to
0: me those are the two best quarterbacks. Do you want to talk about uh, the new Alabama coach, Kaylin DeBoer? Uh, for me, Ira, I think this is a pretty good hire. Right? The trajectory for, for DeBoer has been pretty good. It's so funny is that in
1: so people think Alabama, they had they won in 23 to 46. That's 1923. They won five national championships under two coaches. Then Briar Bryant came in and won, of course, six titles. He was all-time winning uh, games winner until Paterno passed his record. But after Bear Bryant retired, they won Ray Perkins, Bill Curry, Gene Stallings, who actually won a title, but Mike DuBose, Dennis Franzoni, Mike Price, and Mike Shula. And it, it, it was rock bottom. I mean, they, Mike Shula was 10 and 23. And then you had Mike Price, who they hired. As a coach from Washington, surprisingly from a West Coast school, Mike Price goes to Washington State. He goes to a strip club in Pensacola and didn't realize that people in Florida fans would say, you know, the Alabama coach is in a you know in a strip <laughs> club. And he's like, I didn't think people would recognize me. Well, you're the Alabama coach in Pensacola. And of course, he didn't even coach a game. Then he got the, he got fired after not even the spring practice game. And uh, so then so it that was they really hit rock bottom. And then they hit lightning in bottle when they hired Nick Saban. So you know they, they I don't think they want to go six or seven more coaches until finding another they Nick Saban but Kellen DeBoer is an interesting hire 49 years old he went to Sioux Falls he won three national championships at Sioux Falls which is NIIA in five years then he was an offensive coordinator at Southern Illinois Eastern Michigan Fresno State and in Indiana with Panics went to Fresno State for two years won a title Won you know had a good year there Within did a great job at quarterbacks and then in Washington in the last two years 11-2 and 14-1 and and this to me looks more like Urban Meyer remember Urban Meyer went to Bowling Green Good. Utah. Good. Then he goes to Florida. It's like someone who was just there a couple years, turns everything around, wins, and has great offensive mind, and then goes. I think it's that one of the things. But, you know, Saban was behind this. He still has an office. You can see, I think this is one, I think Saban identified DeBoer as one of their coaches that that they should do. And he said he's going to play an active role in it. He's not going, he's not, he he clearly wants to be involved in this. And DeBoer said, I want Saban around every day. And I think you're going to see that uh, to keep some sort of continuity. But do I think he's going to be fantastic? I don't, I don't, there's no way. I mean, it's just not, it would be a miracle. That's gonna. That would be like Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. You're not gonna get Hall of Fame after Hall of Fame. It just, it hasn't happened in the history of coaching. It rarely has, you know, Nebraska with Bob Devaney and then Tom Osborne was the only time you had two coaches. Typically, you're gonna have a steep falling off. It's maybe not this, but then you start having a falling off because it's it's hard to, be, to have these coaches, you know, year after year.
0: I do think the Saban keeping an office, staying involved is huge. I, I was shocked. I thought there was going to be a fire sale on the transfer portal as soon as this was announced. I think only Isaiah Bond is the only person who's leaving this this system um, as of right now. So. If people are going to be retained, that's a good thing. I mean, what Nick Saban was building is building is good. You want to keep that.
1: Yeah, and I think DeBoer's strength in terms of being an offensive coordinator and also working with coaches like with players like Michael Penix when he worked with him at Indiana and then at Washington and tournament NFL quarterback, I think that's why Jalen Milrow, there's a lot of thought that he's going to, that's why Milrow's so excited. I mean, everything you're hearing out of us, Milroe can't wait. This is going to be great. And a lot of people feel like they're going to bring some wide receivers in. Their offense is going to be dynamic, those type of things.
0: Ira on Sports True these channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. We're going to have Ron Rodney Orr from the Tighter Insider talk more about this coming up 7.45. Uh, we're taping this show earlier in the day because of the games tonight. So as of right now, you're hearing this. The Steelers and Bills game is probably about to wrap up if it's not no. over yet. So we can't, we can't talk about that. But we can talk about what happened. Miami and Kansas City. And this was a game, I were going into it. Obviously, we know now Kansas City looked pretty darn good and Miami looked pretty terrible. 26-7 the final. But I thought... Like four and a half points, I, I really just I'm like I think the Dolphins are a better team. I know they're on, on the road in the worst conditions for a playoff game we've seen in years, but I thought Miami was going to have more in this game, and they didn't. And KC played better than I thought they would. Congrats to them. Well, it's just a
1: weird game. Both teams, you know, were 11-6, and my Kansas City had won 21-14 earlier in the year in Germany. But of course, if this game was lost to me when they lost the Tennessee game, they lose. Yeah. They win the Tennessee game, and then they, they could have lost the last two games of the year. They would have rested the players against Buffalo. They went healthy going this game, and I don't. And I, it's not a difference of playing Kansas City, Kansas City in the in the snow and the rain and it's cold and the Dolphins don't win under forty degrees. I think it's you could have a home game. You could you could be playing at home and you could have had a week off of rest. They chose you know they had a three they had a three game lead with five to play. I mean this is this is one of the greatest collapses you could imagine at the end of the year. And now, Tua's his record is just you know he. He's, you know, terrible in terms of, uh, you know, in December. He's 10 and 11 in December, and January, and 24 and 9, September, October, and November. And the fact that the Miami has not won a, a playoff game since 2000, that's just crazy. And, uh, you know, Miami seems to play these cold games, though. And I was the game in 2017. It was, it was one of the coolest games I ever went to in, in Steelers. Steelers won against the Dolphins, and it was freezing, freezing, freezing cold there in Pittsburgh. But uh, I just feel like... This is one of those things where Mahomes look like Mahomes. And that's why he is so good at that's <laughs> why he's phenomenal. I think he played great. And uh, that and it just it, he was he's nine and two at home. The only losses are to Brady and Burrow in, in two games. His touchdown interception ratio is thirty to three at home playoff games. And they just and they found their wide receiver, Rasheed Rice. And and I think that's one thing about Mahomes. I mean, you could see the frustration as the year goes on. He's mad at this and mad at that, but he really knows how to work with players, work with his team, develop and grow. He knows what the he knows you win the Super Bowl. In February, January, and February, you don't win it in September, October, and he built with the team, and and I give him a lot of credit for they they look great, they look that to me. This is the Kansas City. Uh, you're not as impressed as I am, but I was impressed with Kansas City, and I wasn't impressed with Miami. But I feel like this Miami threw the, this game should have never been played, and it's not because of the weather; it's because they should have been playing at home, and 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 for a team that likes to play at home and is a better home team. Uh, they threw it away that you cannot blow a Tennessee game like that. And you cannot, and that was at home. And people Mm -hmm. forget they lost to Buffalo at home and they lost to Tennessee at home. So clearly there's a problem at the end of the season, whether you're home or away that they cannot finish these seasons out, whether two was healthy
0: or hurt. They have got to figure Mike, you know, Donald has got to get their act together in terms of how they finish these seasons. No, you're absolutely right. And with the exception of Baltimore, they could beat every team in the AFC in Miami. It's a lot different going on the road. The cold, of course, is a a ridiculous outlier. This is not a normal thing, but it's never going to be warm in Buffalo or Pittsburgh or anywhere uh, else in the AFC where you're going to have to go to play these games. So I don't know. You know, there there was talk like Tua needs to be replaced now or even before this game. Like if he doesn't win, do we replace Tua? We look in the draft. Michael Penix be the guy for for how good he throws deep balls. What's your concern, you know, what's your take here on what you do with the future of Tua?
1: I think you run it back. I think Vince Fangio showed on defense. I mean, he had lost Phillips, Chubb, Van Ginkle, Holland, and Howard. I mean, six of their star players were out, and the defense still, I think, hung them. You know, was able to hold. Yeah, they weren't the Chiefs. They weren't terrible in that situation. I think the defense improves. Fangio's defense the second year is even better. But I, look, McDon- you know, McDaniel seems to work, Mike McDaniel seems to work well with Tua. And I think they bring Tua back. Tua's improved a lot from last year to this year. He stayed healthy this year. I think you just keep running it back and see if he can yeah, make it. Dude. I'm like, I'm, I'm someone you just bring it back. I mean, I just think they're close enough to be able to get it. And they just have to learn how to close these seasons out. And they just draft, get some fast, you know, more you know, speed. Our chain has to be. Most are. Uh, another wide receiver. Um, they'll bulk up the offensive line. And I think they're, I think they should just run it back. But I do think that this, you know, I think Miami and Dallas have both have the same issue in terms of they both have now you know they they they're not moved they're not showing advancement in the playoffs with having these great regular seasons.
0: Do you have anything else you want to talk about in this game? I mean, Patrick Mahomes got his helmet cracked, which I don't think I've ever seen before. You know, live in a game that was kind of cool, but yeah, that's uh, just the the lack of explosiveness from what's supposed to be an explosive offense was kind of the, the story for me.
1: Right. Well, it was ten nothing, and then two at a hill, and then when he made that great pass, I remember Tyree Kill played at Kansas City was a star there at Kansas. I was there when he played his last game at Kansas City. And he had a 50-yard touchdown. You're like, okay, that's what they're going to do. But that was really their only big play offensively. And then, uh, and then Mahomes to Kelsey, was, was third down was stopped on third and one. And then that was the key. You know, Mahomes doesn't run that ball that much. But when he runs, it's just a great run. Like he knew exactly, you know, to run on fourth and four, get that first down. He said 26 first downs on scrambles. And then he passed to Rice. And then, uh, and then, you, know, then you know, in terms of, you know, then they get sacked. But they make it, you know, 13-7. And then, uh, but, you know, Miami on their chances, whenever they had these third downs, it was it the next play, it was on the 50 yard line, third and two easy pass to Mostar. get that first down. It's like, they were always looking for something and just to drop on that play. And then, uh, and then they, got you know, it, it was 16, seven at halftime. And I'm like, boy, this game again, that's sort of like the Michigan game is like, it should be more than 16, seven. Like I felt like it one of those things. And at that point, you know, then the second half comes, Miami went three and out. They were Oh, and nine over the Buffalo game and that game on third down. And then Kelsey, that's when Kelsey was on his back and rolled over and went through. That was a great play. And, uh, And that's where Mahomes ran in, broke helmet. But they were stopped again for nothing. I mean, they kicked four field goals in the game they they're up nineteen seven. So they could have been up like thirty five seven at that point. And then the idea could you you know do the helmet or not? But then had the play. Then Tua gets sacked. And then Kansas City gets a drive, you know, because of roughing the passer. They go and they score a touchdown. Uh, and, and at that point, made it twenty six seven, and the game's over. But you know, Tua one hundred ninety nine yards, one touchdown, one interception. Mahomes two hundred sixty two yards, one touchdown. But Pacheco ran great, eighty nine yards, a touchdown. That's a different. And Rice eight catches, 130, 130 yards. Finally, they have a wide receiver. Who looks great? Who seemed comfortable? And Kelsey had his typical seven, you know, seven for seven, uh, seven for seven, seventy-one yards. But you know, it's just on the first downs. You know, they had twenty-five to thirteen. Miami just their offense, which was so dominant, just couldn't get going. And besides that one play to Hill, they didn't even run a play in the red zone the whole game. And that's you just look at this Miami team. You're like, where is that offense that you saw? You know, put seventy points against. You know, like those points against Denver when they're scoring seventy. <laughs> it's like let's capture it later. It doesn't work. And a lot of it is when their home, their home and road numbers are different. And I think. You know, that's why they need the home because it seems like the crowd noise or whatever makes them run, but they need to be at home.
0: So Ira, I've done more showboating on this show in the last two weeks than I have in the the prior eight or nine years. I gotta take another victory lap here on the Houston Texans, beating up on, on Cleveland. If you went to ESPN or CBS Sports or anywhere on social media, I'm the only person on the planet who had the Texans winning this game. And looking at it in retrospect, I think more people would agree. Why would you bet on Joe Flacco versus an ascending superstar in CJ Stroud. It just, for some reason didn't make sense to me, I keep hearing the Browns defense is great. Top three at home, marginal, 10 to 14 on the road. And that's what we saw. Joe Flacco threw two bad interceptions. CJ Stroud, again, cementing himself as the future of this league.
1: Wow, I mean, it was one of those games where he looks over, they played a few, about a month ago and the, without Stroud, yeah. and Cleveland won this game. This is Flacco's 17th postseason game, his first in nine years, and was Stroud's first, and Stroud became the youngest player to ever win a postseason game. But he just looked, you know, this is, remember last year he's playing Georgia in that great game, and in fact, this would give credit to Michigan. They beat Stroud twice. I yep. mean, so they, but with Marvin Harrison, so Stroud was with Marvin Harrison, and this Michigan defense, and which Smith I, is, and Jigba, Yeah, I, I'm telling you, I think this Michigan defense is going to, in the future, should just be held up as one of the best defenses in the history of college football because of the way the game is played, but the fact that who they beat, which is these great offensive teams, but you know, certainly he has a connection to, to Nico Collins. But Cleveland did score. I mean, that Houston's defense does. You know, there's areas they're not in the game. great. They're not great. It was seven three, and then you know. Flacco to Bryant for 30 yards and Hunt Rainer for touchdowns it was 14-10. But then Stroud threw that to Jordan, that tight end Jordan for 75 yards, where I think that the Browns defense decided they just didn't want to play. I mean, Jordan was running down there. It reminded me a little of the Washington game. It's like, someone tackle him. Like, like you're, he's almost 300 pounds just running down the field. There's got to be someone from Cleveland that could tackle him. Made it 17-14 Cleveland punts. And then Stroud misses Nika for easy touchdown. But then Stroud hit Schultz for another touchdown. Make get 24-10 at halftime. And you know, okay, you're 24-10, but then you come out and Flacco throws a pick six, and another pick six. Six and the game's over. But it was, I think, yeah, definitely... I, I blame you know, all my friends are like well Flacco's terrible I, look Cleveland's defense which was supposed to be so people good, loved
0: Flacco three weeks ago so I, I hate the, the narrative that Flacco now he's terrible because he lost one game you guys loved him three weeks ago
1: I like, I like Flacco a lot I think he played like, well but <laughs> he ended up you know his stats he ended up with 300 <sighs> yards too but I think C.J. Stroud 274 yards three touchdowns um, you know the funny thing is on the plays of the game Cleveland ran 70 plays Texas only ran 44 plays so they won the game literally running you know almost half as many plays but at the average eight yards a play but I think that's what I think Stroud's ability to throw the long ball, make good decisions. I was there for the Steeler game. I saw I'm impressed how I was with him. And it was a big win for them, and that you're right. You were told we've been on the but we've been on the Stroud over over, Sean for, yeah. for a long time. and uh, but that was a big win for Houston
0: Green Bay and Dallas, IRA. and not for, not for nothing. I was totally wrong in on this one uh, Dallas uh, gets kind of humiliated a little bit forty eight to thirty two, but it wasn't as close as that, a lot of garbage time points. But I was wrong on this one. Definitely thought that Dallas was the team to beat here. Not that I would have given seven and a half points, but Dallas at home has been so good. And I just didn't really trust Jordan Love and the Packers, and I was totally wrong on this, well, this one. Is, a great game by the Packers. This is a
1: Packers team that had given up points to Carolina and the Giants. Two yeah. teams that cannot score at all, look great against them. Their defense looked like the worst defense I've ever seen. And again, they come in there, and not only did their defense told Dallas, which they, you know, did into having the lead that they did at halftime at twenty you know, at that point, 27-7, but 27-0. But the point is, just their offense. I mean, Dallas's offense was one of the best in the league. At home, they by far were the best worth 37 points per game. And then just, just to play like they did, just horrendous, absolutely amazing. Dak is now two and five in the playoffs. Um, and again, they're 12 and five, the only team to go that haven't played a championship game that have been two back-to-back 12 seasons. McCarthy and Dak are 13 and 15 now in the in, in the end of the season type game, or where they play, I think, a winning teams with winning records. But they had won 16 straight home games.
0: And, 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 and that's why it was so hard for me to think they would lose.
1: And they just come out there And you know it, it, Something happened Like look CeeDee Lamb Who has caught more passes Than anyone else in the league This year Looked like he was not On target with Dak Now that, as in, I think that had to be Something before the game There's no way They you know He's catching 12-13 passes A game And suddenly it's like They they were just on, Not on the same page There had to be Something that happened There's no way You go into a home game It's not like the crowd
0: noise Or the weather Or it's zero degrees You almost or, thought He was hurt or something Like where is CD? Like, you didn't see him For three quarters
1: And you know, at the end He ended up having A hundred Yards nine catches, but during when they countered him, there were plays where he was running. That was I think that, I think that threw, threw off Dak a lot. But the defense was terrible. Aaron Jones, who scored like two touchdowns all year, scored three in this game. They couldn't tackle him. Micah Parsons, who I still say again and again and again, do not compare him to Lawrence Taylor. I mean, this he had two tackles. Look, he's going to be the highest paid defensive player in football, and he had two tackles, one solo, one unassisted. And I saw him the only time I saw him was like running number eleven chasing Aaron Jones running. Somehow they just could get running and running and running and the passes the Dobbs like Romeo Dobbs was on, on my team uh, in fantasy and never you know 50 yards a game that's all he did I mean, He's big tall strong everything just going to, he was catching balls wide open everything and then just, a, just an unbelievable there were, there were plays where I could not believe how wide open the wide receivers were and then Dak threw the interception to D- Jair Alexander Aaron Jones runs for a touchdown and then Wicks for a touchdown it was unbelievable 20, it was the largest deficit at home since 1969 forget playoffs for anything the largest that they've ever had at home. And it was 27-7. And uh, it was just then, you know, they start the second half and you're like, okay, well, Dallas is still down, what, 17 points. But then <laughs> Green Bay goes down again to dogs for 46 yards, Jones for a touchdown. And then the pass to Musgrave. That was like the, I mean, Musgrave is running down there. He's 40 yards before nobody was there. Yeah. It's almost like he ran off the bench, you know, and <laughs> ran on the field. Like,
0: how do you let on a game like that? There wasn't a Dallas defender in the same zip code as him. It, it was it, ridiculous.
1: On, and that was, and then Aaron Jones runs. So, I mean, it's just, the whole thing was a disaster. And you know, at the end of the game, they put Sean Clifford in again. And don't get, look at the stats. I'm not gonna even read stats for the game because Dak put up almost 400 yards, but it was like garbage time. And then I criticized that. That screen base defense is so bad, they can't even just hold it in a game when they have a lead like that. But it's, a, it's bad for the Cowboys. Just horrendous loss. I mean, just just a bad loss.
0: Like I said, we taped this show earlier in the day. Mike McCarthy might be fired by the time <laughs> that this airs. Are you getting rid of McCarthy? I mean, I, I, for me, I don't know if I like Bill Belichick at this point in his career, but it seems like a Belichick, Jerry Jones, coming together is like gonna happen it's just for me it seems like the logical destination
1: well I was surprised look look, he doesn't He um, Jerry Jones brought in Bill Parcells Bill Parcells was the Belichick like 20 years ago in terms of he had won two titles for the Giants he was gonna be the highest paid coach and he brought someone like Parcells in so if he's gonna bring Parcells in after he had just won three championships he could easily bring Belichick in and I think this is, this is to me the perfect spot for Belichick because he's gonna come in there and he says like look I'm not gonna have total say on personnel but Jerry's gonna listen to me I'm gonna be involved I mean, this really does look like the perfect position for Belichick to come and step in. Dak Prescott's your quarterback. He's going to work with him and make him a, you know, what I just think it works. I, yes,
0: I would bring Belichick in for this one position. Yeah, for me, Belichick wants full control.
2: He's, he's, not gonna he's get terrible.
0: Anywhere. He's terrible at drafting. Yeah, he's not going to get it anywhere. But this is just an easier way to like f- to not hurt his ego. Well, it's Jerry Jones's team, and I, so I got to let him make the personnel calls. Whereas if, if he went to Carolina, he's going to want to run everything, of course. But that's why for me, this is just a perfect coming together of Bill can kind of put his ego in check. He gets the most what's a highly sought after job in in pro sports the Dallas Cowboys coach. Everything seems like the writing's on the wall.
1: Unless you know, as the people said, some there are some people say blow the whole thing up, you know, get rid of everyone, bring D on there, and just have a whole change. But I think the team does have a lot of talent. You know, they've won twelve games back to back. They are very good, and I would not get rid of Dak Prescott. But something, there is something in these big games where he is just. I mean, last year I felt look, they came in, they beat Tampa, that was big. They lose to San Francisco, I thought that was unfit. This there's no excuse for this because Green Bay was terrible. This was a, this was like a buy, and they just they weren't ready to play in this game, and that's on the coach. And a game when you're when you're when you're level, what you're viewed is the Super Bowl and we lose this, you you can't keep your job.
0: We got Rodney Orr coming up from the tighter insider in just a minute, but quickly let's talk about Rams and Lions game last night and there was so many great storylines from this game, of course, with the quarterback swap that was a few years ago. Now they're facing off against each other in the playoffs. Man, we got a good game here. I the team I wanted to win, the team that I do think is better is Detroit. They got to win 24-23, but no shame from the Rams. This was supposed to be like a 5-6 win season and they looked pretty good here.
1: Well, we've had bad games all weekend in terms of these blowouts and then you get last night's game and wow, I mean, that was great. I mean, you have Stafford who has been the quarterback for the Lions for 12 years returning. Goff who was on the Rams who the Rams gave up for to go to Stafford who everyone thought oh, he's going to come there and he's not he's going to be in Detroit for nothing and then he's ended up being the star quarterback there. Dan Campbell's turning around Detroit the first playoff game, you know, a postseason victory since 1957, 57. <laughs> it's crazy, you know. Before Bear Bryant, and uh, and now, you know, it's it's to me this was without a doubt. They had lost nine straight postseason games at home, and uh, this was. And the, and the Lions were everything. The line. The first half was really just like it was like Hagler Hearns, just throwing punches. Each team. Puka Nacua, he is so fun to watch. And I just when you watch Cooper Cup, like he he must be injured. There has to be because if he comes back next year and he's healthy, like they're going to be amazing because there's something bothering Cooper Cup but Puka Nachua is just amazing to watch He he's he's tremendous making he play after play I don't think ever there's a player with the BYU he was an average an average high, a college player and now to become arguably maybe the second or third best wide receiver in the league because you see how he plays 180 yards in a playoff game was tremendous but the fact that it was 21-17 at halftime and, and because both play teams went besides you know the Rams get stuck in for a field goal instead of scoring they've been 21-21 Stafford almost had 200 yards and two touchdowns Puka Two had five catches, 106 yards. Goff had almost the same stats as Stafford, with almost 200 yards and a touchdown. And uh, that, but then you're ready for the second half to begin. And the Rams, you know, it's just it was it was really weird. The Rams had four possessions, only had six points. Both teams were punting the ball. Like it's just it was weird. They the Rams only possessed the ball in the second half only four times. They only got the ball four times. Got those two field goals. They drove down was third and 14. And, and and that's where it was 24-24-23 really and at that point I'm thinking boy that there was interference then on Puka I think there was clearly interference my Rams fans are like this is the worst call in the world but the Lions get the ball back up one with four minutes to go now look you'll stop they were able to hold the ball but one thing is the Rams wasted two timeouts earlier so they couldn't have time to stop but boy that was you your best defense is your good offense is to hold the ball for four minutes the Rams never got the ball back the Rams never got the ball back down one all they need is a field goal Brutal. just do one stop <laughs> get a punt and go and they couldn't even do that and uh, but I think they were hurt Kyron Williams got injured in the fourth quarter but it was just one of those games where they you know it was back and forth that first half where they were scoring in the second half they decided that both teams decided really not to score and uh, very exciting very good game and I, I the Rams next year have a lot of great young players too so the the Packers are young they're the young one of the youngest teams in, in the history of the playoffs the Rams are all besides Stafford is very young also
0: yeah there's a video that surfaced now of uh, McVay telling the Rams front office, like, this kid Nakua, I could make this guy work. Like, I want him. And like, well, okay, well, we'll throw a fifth at him, I guess. <laughs> I mean, he's like the, the, the he wide receiver whisperer everything. here. He yeah.
1: catches everything. He, his roots, his route running is unbelievable. And when he gets the ball, the only thing that's going to end is going to be injury, because he runs so hard, you can't take him down. And you can see when he catches the ball, nobody can... T- he's, he's he's something I mean, else. He, I love watching him. I think a lot of people, because they play this four o'clock game. It's weird when the Rams play. They're not always on prime time so much. But when you watch Puka play, you're like, I mean, who besides Tyree Kill? You got Justin Jefferson. I mean, he's he played better than C. D. Lamb. You just like Puka Nacua is unbelievable. And if they get Cooper Cup back next year playing at a high level, I mean, Stafford he played great. Like the whole aspect of Stafford with his hand was bleeding, and they go I just loved. To me, that was what a playoff game. That was what a playoff game was all about. Two teams just pounding each other, and one winning it close. So that was certainly the game of the weekend.
0: Who's the offensive rookie of the year? Nakua or C. J. Stroud? Um, You can make a case for both of them that's a you know I think it's not I
1: think it's closer I think they're going to give it to Stroud because he's quarterback the, they always yeah. give it the quarterback but Puka Chua is just I mean he's any other year this is an Akua yes, award yes. to win that's a good but question. yeah
0: I mean Stroud I, I, I think he, because he's a quarterback it's kind of I have to, have to do it let's go to Rodney or it's Iron Sports Rodney it's so great to have you back on Iron Sports the, the, the
1: Alabama Insider and uh, I didn't think we are going to have you back but boy big news I'm sitting there at the National Championship game right after the game on that Tuesday and suddenly we hear news that Nick Saban is resigning and now it's a like Kyle DePoor is now going to be the new coach. What led to this? Did you see this happening? Did you see did, were there the tea leaves saying that that Saban could potentially retire during the year?
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. was hearing it quite a bit actually and you know but it's not really unusual. I mean it's been going on the last few years. You hear these things and you know the difference is Ira I think this one wasn't going away. I mean it kept you kept hearing it, kept hearing it and, you know, it wasn't anything that you said, okay, I've got enough information that I believe it's definitely happening. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there were good sources that were saying things, a lot of whispers, a lot of conjecture and speculation, all this kind of stuff. And then I would say that uh, right after the Michigan game, you know, I got a call that uh, some networks, uh, some of the major networks were on high alert that, uh, you know, Nick Saban could be stepping down soon. And, you know, so I really kind of kept an ear out for that. But I was told two and a half months ago I had a long conversation with someone about it, and they said, watch out for Kalen DeBoer at Washington. And they said that is the guy that Greg Byrne will focus on uh, and is already kind of becoming more familiar with uh, in the event that this happens. So I have kind of started – you know, keeping records on, on the DeBoer at that time, and so this really, uh, I won't say that it was something that I'm, I'm sitting here telling you, hey, I expected all this to unfold exactly the way it did, but I did have an inkling that this is the way it could all go down.
1: Well, I mean, do you think the reason, you know, there's a lot of speculation, You know, one was there was health issues, the other is that he doesn't like the NIL and the transfer portal, or is it just a combination of he just, what, what, what do you think the reason is he decided this time? Because clearly, unlike Belichick, he still had his fastball, you know, they just made it to the college football playoff, his team is young, you know, with a team that, you know, some say this is his best coaching job he's had, and a lot of players are going to be back for next year. So why do you think he decided to step down at this moment? He'll be
2: 70, 73 in October. I mean, you know, and when you talk about the combination of his age and and all of those things that you mentioned about the change in the game, with NIL, the portal, you know, those types of things, I I think it just got to the point where he said, hey, look, you know, it's very difficult in this current climate right now. Uh, The energy level is not what it used to be when I was 55 or 60 or 65. You know, it's going on 73. It takes a toll. It takes somebody who can, as he said, somebody that can, it, the way he did it the the, the the way he didn't want to change the way he did it he wanted to be able to stay up till two in the morning and get up at six you know four hours and then get back to work so I think all of those things were a consideration to him he just didn't have what it took to continue to put the effort into it now I'll say this too somebody told me that on let's see what day was it that Wednesday when he stepped down that on either earlier that morning over the last two days, he had talked to 32 of the current Alabama players. You know, he always calls them into his office. He has meetings with them after the end of the year, sits down, talks to them, gets a feel for them to kind of set the tone for the off season, set the tone for spring practice in the next year. And when he's doing these interviews with these 32 players, from what I was told, not one of them said, hey, coach, I'm disappointed. You know, that we didn't win the national championship. That's our focus. You know, we want to go back. We want to get redemption. We want to do all these things. These are the things that the great Nick Saban teams of the past, you know, when they fell short, these were the things that they focused on. But instead, all 32 had one question. How much NIL will I get next year? Oh, boy. And I think that was something that really, you know, struck him. But, but again, I, th- I think this was in the works anyway, but it's these types of things that I think certainly added up to, you know, his final decision. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, Greg Byrne, the athletic director, was caught off guard. He was not caught off guard. He knew all this was potentially going to happen. He had Kalen DeBoer directly in his sights. And if you saw or if you heard that leaked uh, video or recording of Kalen DeBoer's last meeting with his team when he told them he was going to Alabama – he said in that meeting and he did not know he was being recorded. He said in that meeting that when he heard, you know, on Wednesday that Saban had retired, that he kind of had a sick feeling in his stomach because he knew what was getting ready to happen. <laughs> he knew he was going to he, he knew that he was going to get a call and he knew that he was not going to turn down Alabama. So, and again, I think it was, you know, obviously his emotions and feelings about his players at Washington that made him feel a little bit empty there. But I mean, that's how that's that's pretty much what I know in terms of how things went down.
1: Well, you know, when they hired, uh, when this, when Bama had Mike Shulo, they fired him that whole gap in period before, you know, recruiting Saban, getting Sue And Saban had, was this experience. He had won a national championship at LSU, had coached at Michigan State and had, you know, it was, it was an older you know, coach with the Dolphins. You know, DeBoer is no background in the SEC, no background, you know, it's like really just in Sioux Falls and Washington. What does Byrne, what did Byrne see? And I, and I would assume that Saban himself, because I don't think Byrne hires DeBoer with. Saban saying, I think this guy's smart, you know, what, what, th- what did they see in him that made him that they're so excited about?
2: Well, let me ask you this. It, I ask you a question. What does everyone else see in Kalen DeBoer when he was at Washington that made everyone convinced that this guy's, he's really good. And that is that he wins a lot of games. I mean, he's <laughs> won a lot of games. He's had a lot of success. Uh, you know, he, here's the thing, Ira, and you know this. You got to be able to manage a program, it, 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 and when you see consistency, you, you've had a, nine years as a head coach. Seven of those years, you won eleven or more games. Okay, you can say, "Well, it's, it's on this level, it's on that level." Okay, he was just at Washington; they went twenty-five and three. Uh, they played for the national championship in his second year. Um, you know, these things don't happen by accident. The consistency of his winning is, is a sign of a winner. And so I I really think that, you know, there are a lot of people that say the familiarity in this part of the country. Coach Bryant, Bear Bryant, used to say a winner is a winner and a winner is going to win wherever he goes. And, you know, I think that's pretty much what you can say about this guy. He's won championships. He won three national championships on the NAIA level. Uh, You know, he played for one this year at at, uh, Washington. And look, let's just be honest. He, he did not have the talent at Washington, especially you look at their defensive front seven. I mean, they didn't have the talent that some of these other teams had. Uh, he beat Sark two years in a row with lesser talent. Uh, he beat Sark this year. He was double-digit lead there until the end. They almost lost it, as you know. But he beat Sark. There, they, they, I, When I watched that game, I was saying, if I'm a Texas fan, I'm really disappointed because I've just watched the guy in the biggest game of, of his career, Sark, get beat by someone with lesser talent. And, and on the flip side of that, I'm thinking, this Kalen DeBoer's really, really good, you know? Uh, so I say all that to say, I mean, I just think, you know, look at the track record. look at Look at him, look at his personality, listen to what his former players say, and what do they say? They say, you know, a lot of glowing things about him. You can tell that they really love him. They really kind of bonded with him. Or he bonded with them, however you want to look at it. And I think, too, look at football people. Look at real football people. Ira, here's the problem. Here's the problem. There's not a lot of people in sports journalism and sports uh, casting, whatever, today. Look at the people who don't present their story with an agenda. And I think when you look at people like that, you can take Cole Kubelik, for example. He's an Auburn guy. He played offensive line at Auburn. But Cole has the ability to put all of that out and look at it in a professional manner. And the things he says about DeBoer, the way he raves about him, uh, he says that, you know, this guy's one of the best he's seen. I mean, he speaks glowing terms of him. So I say all that to say, you know, if, if you look at all of that together, I mean, it just seems like, you know, Kalen DeBoer's the right guy for this for this job.
1: Well, Rodney, thank you so much for coming on IRS Sports. I know this has been a busy time, and now you got the, the new, the DeBoer air is now starting, and uh, it'll be exciting to see what happens in Alabama going forward. So thanks a lot for coming on IRS Sports. I really appreciate it.
2: All right. I appreciate you having me. Thank Take you care. so
1: much. And, Rodney, one last question. If people want to follow you, what's the best way to follow you online?
2: Yeah, it's tighterinsider.com. It's only $48 a year, and you can get instant access. You're an Alabama fan. Uh, man, look, it's nonstop. Our community there, our all-sports forum, Ira, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. And I've got a new book, Ira. Put out a new book, Bigger Than Bama. You need to go check it out at Um, uh, I would encourage you to do that. I think you would might find it uh, an interesting book.
1: Oh, of course. I'd love to read it. So, th- Rodney, thanks so much for coming on Ira Sports. Really appreciate it.
2: Thank you, Howard.
0: Take care. Okay. Iron Sports, True All These Channel. Rodney Orr, thank you so much. Rodney now, I think, is our most repeated guest. I think this is six sixth or seventh time we've had Rodney Orr on, but he always brings great stuff.
1: Yeah, because Alabama's always in the news. I mean, they've been the standard for the program, so it's, it's great to have him, considering, you know, they're the most players in the NFL and the most national championships. So it's so, great to have him
0: on. Yeah, we've been talking about it this entire show, and it's kind of been the talk of sports for this week. Is coaches it's been just a wild week nobody saw him uh resigning nobody saw Pete Carroll getting fired where do we stand now obviously we know Bill Belichick's lost his job Mike Vrabel's lost his job there's a lot of openings there's also a lot of positions to be filled
1: yeah, I think that the openings are Seattle, Tennessee, Carolina, Washington, Atlanta, Vegas, uh, where people think Antonio Pierce, who was the interim coach, will get hired, and the Chargers that Harbaugh is interviewing today, and we'll see you put on that. That's next a done week. deal to me, right? And <laughs> but Belichick, the the interesting thing about Belichick is I saw some great reports where I felt he was going to stay, but the relationship was definitely fractured because of Tom Brady, which I think I had, I'm trying to get Seth Wickersham on to talk about this. But I think when he told Belichick, Craft, he told Belichick says Brady's done, he's finished. Well, if Brady would have was finished, then it would be an issue. You. In fact, he wasn't finished, won the Super Bowl. And if you're craft, you're like, we could have kept him. And then to go to Cam Newton, then the Mac Jones didn't work. And this past year, they... they Kraft was not seen in the locker room. He was usually there after the end of the games. So there were a couple games like on the road against Pittsburgh. He was not there at those games, and you, people sensed that. And the year before, the the year before, Jared Mayo, who's now the coach of the of the Patriots, they named him the coach in waiting, which, which no, one, never and no one ever heard yeah. of. No one ever heard of that, and that upset Belichick. Belichick did not want to hear that. They felt it was getting pushed out. So, the, and even though Mayo was a player for Belichick and was Belichick made him his longtime assistant, but I think that Belichick was not did not like that. So there was that aspect where there was look. They put a great. Based on you know at that press conference, but definitely this past year there was it was a slow fracturing of the relationship. But again, if Belichick would have brought in Brady, that would have been the difference. But Pete Carroll. He in Seattle, we never saw that coming because Carroll thought he was back. He had, you know, he got rid of Russell Wilson, but Russell Wilson did not have success later. You know, he's what well, he had won a Super Bowl and then they were really, nine and eight, nine and eight, the last two years, better than actually Belichick had been the last two years, but it was some of the owner in terms of Paul Allen's widow didn't want him and but Schneider, there's some, the whole front office in Seattle seems confused by that and I think, I think you're gonna see Pete Carroll go to another job.
0: Yeah, the whole, uh, the, the way they're spitting it is, well, Pete's still gonna be like an advisor to the team. He wants to coach, he's not going to sit around here and watch someone else coach his team. He he wants to prove that he's right. He's and it, there's and he's there, there's good says, jobs to He, to get.
1: Belichick and Sabin are almost exactly the same age, which mm-hmm. is really you know, They're about seventy two years old, and he was a coach at the Patriots before that. He left the Patriots job before Belichick got the job. Which is amazing. But you no, know, I think Carroll's going to get it. I and mean, then you have these jobs. I mean, there's so many that are open. You've never seen so, you know, but the fact that you have coaches like Belichick and Carol and Harbaugh who are out there who have had, all had success, you know, it's going to be harder for some of these coordinators trying to
0: get those jobs, you know, in terms of when you have these successful coaches that are looking yeah, for them. Yeah, poor him. Ben Johnson was like the the golden boy. And now all of He'll a sudden, get something, he but, will, but it's not going to be what he wants. But like someone like right? Mike Vrabel, you think is going to step into somewhere, you know. you And now Vrabel's saying he wants complete control.
1: Right. So, so you're <laughs> seeing, I think you're going to see situations where you have these four coaches. That have have won success, had success, playoff experience. That you are going to be seen hired, and these coaches that are spending. As we've talked about this off the air, um, these teams are worth five, six, seven, eight billion dollars. Some of the Cowboys are worth twenty billion. What if you pay a coach thirty million dollars? What you know? What does it matter? It doesn't part count against the cap, and your teams are worth so much money that I don't. I wouldn't be surprised to pay the coach twenty, twenty-five million. If you think that's the difference to winning,
0: no, absolutely. So, what's your plan for uh, this coming week? I mean, obviously, by the time we tape in the show, we don't know the results of of the two uh, games today, but given an inkling of where you're going to end up? I would hope that I'm going to be in Baltimore
1: for the Steelers and the Ravens on on Sunday, next Sunday. And if that doesn't happen, then maybe the ball. I'd probably go to Baltimore or go to Detroit for a game. That would be the thing. So. Detroit
0: would be kind of cool to see. It. And you're indoors, too. So <laughs> you're indoors. So I'd be, it would be
1: Detroit or Baltimore. So
0: I would see Detroit or Baltimore
1: to go at one of those games.
0: We are out of time. On behalf of the entire Ira on Sports team, we want to wish you a happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. He's Ira. a Mike. We'll talk next Monday night. Ira on Sports.